Scripture reading today is from Matthew 4, 12 through 22. When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun. And Nevertheless, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah. You know, when you practice a word, it doesn't always come out. Okay. Land of Zebula and land of Nepatali. 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 You got it. The way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. To people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets, Jesus called them. And immediately they left their boat and their father and followed him. So the story goes that Jesus was going by the sea and he was choosing disciples. He was going out to look for his disciples. A rabbi, when they're about 30 years old, is the time when a rabbi goes and to recruit some disciples to share the message of that rabbi. And we'll talk a little bit more about that. And so that's what Jesus was doing. And I'm going to read this again, and I want to get your first impressions, because I had some first impressions about this when I read it. It says, he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And he said to them, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of people. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And as he went from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John, in a boat with their father, Zebedee, mending their nets, and he called them, come and follow me. And they left the boat and their father and followed him. Now, that, what's the first thing that stands out to you in those? What's the first things that just jump out at you and go, that's interesting, or that's odd, or how, you know, what is that? What's the first thing? Anybody, anything that jumps out at you? Immediately. The immediacy of that. This guy comes along. He says, quit your job. Come with me. And they immediately dropped their nets and followed him. And uh, I'm thinking about that. So the immediacy of that. Both sets of brothers did that. Exactly the same. The other thing that stepped out at me or jumped out at me is poor Zebedee. <laughs> you know, he's left in the lurch. He's in the pinch, you know. They just get, you know, I'm not giving you two weeks' notice, Dad, I'm out of here. 
And I, at first, I looked at that, and I'm going, I'd be a little upset by that. Why isn't we hear anything about his grumbling or his saying to those kids today? (laughs) They're leaving me in the lurch like that. But I think that what we need to do is understand what's really going on. And I'd like to take you back to Jesus' day, to the first century Jewish world, how the Jews of Jesus' day approached the Word of God, the Torah, and how, they, uh, and how the Torah and the Hebrew Scriptures, what it meant to them. And so I first want to look at um, Numbers 15, verses 37 through 39. And this takes you back to the very beginning. It says, the Lord said to Moshe, which is Moses, speak to the Israelites and say to them throughout the generations to come, You are to make tassels on the corners of your garments with a blue cord on each tassel, and you'll make these tassels to look at, and you will remember all the commands of the Lord, that you may obey them and not prostitute yourselves by chasing after the lusts of your own hearts and eyes. Torah. Torah, the first five books of the Hebrew Scriptures, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. We have often called them in the Christian world the law, but more appropriately, they are called instruction, instruction in the way. The people of Israel believed that God loved them so much that God gave them Torah, God's Word, so they would know how to live, to know from their Creator what is best for them to live fully. And the whole point of this and of these prayer shawls, you see a prayer shawl, I have a prayer shawl here, and they all wore these. And that's what this is talking about. It says, you will, uh, you will have these tassels to look at so that you will remember all the commands. I want you to remember. I want you to take the corners of your garments, the prayer shawl, that what is called the talit. And a side note about this uh, talit, uh, by the way, just, uh, you know, this is... Um, it's interesting. How many remember the, the, the line in, that Jesus talks about praying in the temple? And he saw that one guy that was, you know, really showing off in his prayer. And he says, uh, I want you to not pray in that showy way. I want you to go to your prayer closet. I always thought that was like, you know, a closet. Because we are a culture of closets. But that's not what that means. The prayer closet for the Jewish person is the prayer shawl. When you go like this to pray, you're in your tent, your prayer tent, your prayer closet. They didn't have a broom closet with cleaning supplies. 
or hockey skates or, you know, whatever uh, that you have in your closet. But the, the talit, the Greek word for closet is temen, which means an inner chamber or secret room. However, in the Hebraic mind, the prayer closet is the prayer shawl or talit. It is not a closet or a room in the house, not a physical place, but a posture of the heart a posture towards God. Jewish homes didn't have closets. But the talit, which is the prayer shawl, has two words, tall meaning tent and it, or it meaning little. Thus, talit means the little tent. Most Jewish men have these prayer shawls, wear these prayer shawls. You can see them maybe under their coat and you see the tassels going down. So this is what the prayer shawl is. And, a certain, and you'll look at them and you'll see that, that it talks about uh, tassels at the corners or the borders, and that's what these are. And, and it is to remember. It's a tactile memory uh, uh, for you. To, they would take these prayer shawls, and again, there's a number of knots. There's five knots. What do you think they represent? The Torah. The Torah. See, God is a God of props. God is a God of, of physical things to help us remember. What is the thing that uh, always most is to, to have us remember? You know the song where it says, here I raise my Ebenezer? Do you know what that is? It's a memory uh, of a, it's a monument memory of a great work of God. All through the land, where, uh, wherever they were, a victory that they had to turn to God, they, they built a monument to what? Remember. Remember. Remember who you are and whose you are. Remember. And sometimes it takes, it takes that to keep our focus. And it talks about that in, the, in, in this passage of Scripture. That when you have this physical way to remember, to keep your focus, to keep you from being distracted, and in your coming and your going, you can wrap this as you're praying around your fingers. You can be in the prayer closet. You can be walking, and you will remember as you, you know, there are so many distractions in our culture. You know, squirrel. Uh, 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 the people of God need to have ways to remember. And that's what the prayer shawl was for them. They have the names of God on it and a certain number of knots and a command to put the tassels on the corners called the kanaf, which is the Hebrew word for corners, and the tassels are called tzitzi. One of the Bible teachers in this book calls it, says it, it's spelled T-Z-I-T-Z-I-T, and so if you're from the South, it's T-Z-Z-I-T, <laughs> but that's not what it is. Sitsi is the Sitsi, and they're to help us remember, to be reminded of God's great gift of Torah, to not be distracted, to get back on the way, to be reminded how I created you, God saying, how I created you to live. Which brings us to the understanding of education of the people 
regarding the Torah. The Jews were big on education, truly big on dedication and education. It says in Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. This is the great Shema of the law. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts and press them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk around the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands. Bind them on your foreheads. Write them on your door frames of your houses and your gates. Education was so very important. And the generations. You know, if there's disruption in a worship service where we serve communion, and it's because children are there, and there's laughter, and there's squiggling, and all that sound that you hear is not disruptive. It's sacramental sound. It means the next generation is here. In the day of Jesus, the great first century Jewish historian writes this. Above all, we pride ourselves on the education of our children. They understood The education of children was central to the life of the community. They understood that if the scriptures, the instruction of God, the Torah, did not make it deep into the bones of the next generation, they were one generation away from extinction. It's so important. Right, Cindy? Children's education is important, it's our future. It's our calling to go into all the world and preach the gospel. The first calling of every Christian family is the evangelization of your children. See this in light of this quote. The world subsists through the breath of school children. It's so very important, this understanding of education. Now, there was lots and lots and lots of debate on where that begins. And for the most part in the Jewish world, it began at the age of six. There are three stages of the educational system. The first was Bet Sefer. Sephar, the house of the book, ages 6 to about 10. And they begin by memorizing Torah. By the time that they're about 10 years old, most had the whole Torah. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, memorized. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? At the same time, though, you know, I was thinking about that in terms of our, our focus. A lot of it has to do with focus. 
You know, in my day, when I was young, I could recite to you every line of Monty Python. <laughs> All of them. Have, has anyone ever seen the video of um, Monty Python live at the Hollywood Bowl? It was a film, okay? I was there when it was being filmed. It was awesome. <laughs> uh, in, my, in my son's day, uh, I remember when he was a young junior high, per, about 6th, 7th grade, middle school, uh, I took him to a concert at the University of Montana, Weird Al Yankovic. It was packed with junior high boys and their dads. <laughs> they knew every line of every lyric. Back in that day, too, movie dialogue. I, I tell you, there, could, there wouldn't be a boy that was at that time that couldn't recite to you all the dialogue of Dumb and Dumber. <laughs> or any Eminem. Uh, lyrics. And that was spit out fast and every single beat, every single word at that speed. So it's just a, a focus and, and priorities and what uh, is important to us. It can happen. It can happen. Bet Sefer from age six to 10. They would normally go to a, a, a Hebrew school and the local synagogue, and there they would learn together. And at the end of that time, they would start to think in terms of what, what next. And the, well, those that had an aptitude for more, that uh, were, had that kind of thing, it was kind of the best of the best, they went on. Most of them, though, most of the, uh, of the young people would go back home and begin to be part of the family business, family trade, apprenticing, and so forth. But the best of the best would keep going to the next level called Bet Talmud, or a house, the house of learning. From about age 11 to about 14, they had the natural ability to truly memorize, to truly uh, start into a process of discussing the Scriptures together and, and, uh, and their learning. And by the end of their time, they would have had the rest of the Hebrew Scriptures memorized, Genesis to Malachi. And uh, holy Toledo. And they would start learning the Talmudic method of question back and forth. Right? It's not like the Western world's understanding of education where we, mm, let's see, two plus two is four. And the, you would parrot that back and then move on to the next thing. But in the Talmudic style, it was always questions. The rabbi would ask, two plus two is what? And uh, the answer would be a question. What's 16 divided by 4? Coming with different perspectives, looking at different things in a different way, 
and it was part of that process. When Jesus was caught in the temple, that's where he was. And they were amazed at his insight and questioning. He was in the phase of Bet Talmud. Then comes the Bet Midrash. About 14 or 15 years old, rabbis would uh, be looking for someone, uh, for um, uh, disciples to, to recruit that, and see, the different rabbis had different emphases, different interpretations. It was called the Midrash. And their body of work, of their understanding of the emphases, of the things to focus on, uh, and, and it became called their yoke. And uh, they were looking for those who were the best of the best, who could learn from the rabbi and be like the rabbi. And they could carry on, learn the yoke, take it upon them, and then share it with the world, and share it and make other disciples of that yoke. Jesus said, take my yoke upon you. It is full of grace. It's not filled with hard, rigorous law-keeping and rules. It is filled with grace, the yoke of the rabbi. And then in Matthew 28, it says, go into all the world. And it doesn't say, and make converts. It says, make Talmudim, disciples. Teach them everything I've said. Make them learners. Help them to follow and become like their rabbi, Jesus. Jesus. That's the next level. And a rabbi would go and go to, and no, and they would go out, but they would, there would be a time where they were looking. And those who were good in the classes and doing the right things, would go to the rabbi and say, Rabbi, and they would apply, I want to be like you. I want to take your yoke upon me. I want to live with you. I want to follow you. I want to know what you know and do what you do. I want to dedicate my life so that rabbi would grill them. And they would want to know, are they going to do it? Are they the best of the best? Can they learn from me? Can they do what I do? Can they spread my yoke? Now, if they were grilled and they were not the best of the best, of the best, they would say something like, well, you know, it's time that you really focus on the family business. Apply the family trade. There's honor in that. You've done well. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Now, 
hear the story again from that perspective. When Jesus came uh, with, um, follow me in the story, when he said those words, now what do you hear about the situation? First of all, what were they doing? Peter and Andrew and John and where were they? What were they doing? Fishing. The family trade. They were not the best of the best of the best. They didn't make the cut. And so that's the first thing I see is here is they didn't go to, to Jesus because they didn't make the cut. They were doing what they were supposed to do. Jesus came to them. Does that change the thought then when about the immediacy, about what happened? Is, oh my goodness, the rabbi who is getting known in the region came to us and said, I want you. I believe you can do it. I believe you can be the best of the best. I believe you can take my yoke. I believe in you and that you will be able to do what I do. I'm choosing you. Follow me. That also changes the uh, perspective of Zebedee, doesn't it? At first, they say, it's those kids, he says, my kids, my two boys are going with the rabbi. He came and sought them out, which was a great honor in the community. Isn't that a different understanding and perspective of this call and what it means? So many times, much of the time, we think of ourselves as not making the cut. What am I going to do? Oh, we're going to leave that to the, the called ministry, to the pastor Jesus wants us as disciples. We are part of the outreach of Matthew 28. We're not called to just be converts. We're called to be disciples, to take Jesus' yoke upon us, to learn from the Master, to walk in the way, to walk in the way. So that brings me to this understanding of covered in the dust of your rabbi Jesus. Um, Rob Bell kind of coined this in a, uh, back in the day. And uh, some have said, oh, it's kind of a mythical um, saying. But I've studied this and found that it is a quote that is truly consistent with the spirit, spirit of Jewish understanding of discipleship. One commentator, another Bible teacher, quotes a Jewish saying. It's very close to this saying. It says, if you enter, encounter a rabbi, you should cover yourself in the dust of his feet and drink in the words of thirstily, in his words thirstily. The expression likely draws on a well-known sight of ancient Jews. Disciples were known to walk behind their rabbi, following him so closely they would become covered in the dust kicked up from his sandals. This would be a powerful image for what should happen in the disciples' life of spiritualities. Disciples 
were expected to follow their rabbi so closely that it's as if they would be covered with their master's way of thinking, living, acting, everything. See, the essence of being a Christian disciple isn't it's imitation. It's not just head knowledge. It's not just knowing the doctrine, which are all important. It's imitating. While we're called to follow all the doctrines and practices of faith, much more is needed. We must go deeper and reflect on what is happening in our hearts. Are we growing in our union with Jesus? The early church sought that out and did that right from the beginning. In Acts chapter 2, these were converts. The great power of Pentecost. They were coming in droves. But they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and of prayer. Being together, being together, being together, immersed I wrote about in the latest current about they were first called Christians in Antioch. By the way, in the early church, if there's any question about where, just say Antioch and you're pretty much going to get it because there's actually like two or three different Antiochs in the whole region uh, there and so one of them is about to be the right answer. Uh, Listen to this. So it was that for an entire year, they, Paul and Barnabas, met with the church and taught a great many people, and it was Antioch that the disciples were first called Christians. That was first of term of derision. They were making fun of them, not understanding that's exactly what they needed and wanted to be. Because it literally means little Christs. Oh, those little Christs. They were first called people of the way. Then they became called Christians, and they took that as an honor because it meant they are acting and looking and doing, and, and everything about them was Christ. Growing into the image of Christ. It's a theme of the Apostle Paul's. And it is what discipleship is all about. How do we come to church? Why are we here? We want a little bit of inspiration. We need a little insight. Sometimes we come together to be f with friends. These are all good things, all very good things. But from time to time, we need to go deeper. From time to time, when we come together, and when Pastor Kurt opened God's holy word, God's way, I want you to picture this platform as the shoreline. 
and the Spirit of God and of Jesus reaching out to you saying, come and follow me. In this moment, in a prayer-filled moment, may you drop what you're doing and immediately follow. And in following, may you be covered in the dust of our Rabbi Jesus. This is the word of the Lord for us today. Amen.